I, I, I came to a corner and I, I was going much too fast and I banked over, banked over and the, um, the, the pedal hit was on the ground and there's sparks and stuff coming out. And then the bike just sort of went from me and um, just sort of slipped and I managed to get my leg out from underneath the bike. Mm. Oh, it was in slow motion. Mm. Fantastic experience. Have you ever had? If you've ever had that experience, I have. I've fallen off a horse and it's like. Oh, you had that. You had same thing. But it, it's absolutely. It's it's worth living through that experience and having that experience. Everything goes in slow motion. Wow. Like and uh, you know, I could see this and I was moving the bike. Um, pushing the bike away from me, so I could, yeah. you know, I was a bit worried about the bike coming on top of me. Mm. And um, maybe I rolled and the bike went on one side, and I, I rolled off, and I was fine. And the bike was fine, the bike was fine, the bike was fine, the bike was fine, was fine, the bike 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 Mm. I think I might have got a bit bashed up with that, but not, not seriously. Crash helmet? No. <coughs> no, crash helmet. Leathers? No. No. Jeans jacket. <laughs> Same jeans jacket or just Yeah. Same <laughs> jeans and jeans jacket. Oh, that's terrible. Double bit. <laughs> oh. I've got a few bruises, but I think it's okay. Yeah, well, another occasion. <laughs> it's not very accident prone. I've just taken lots of risks. Mm. Um, I was going, this is by the hospital, centre of the area, really, centre of the road. Mm. And I was, it was in the park. Mm. And I, I was going too fast then. And um, I knew the road was somewhere there. No, oh, right. it's foggy. Okay, okay, I think the road's there. <laughs> and, you know, just turned turn around what the road was. But I, I actually hit a stone wall. Went into a stone wall. <laughs> Luckily, I, I didn't go, didn't hit it head on, hit it at about 45 degrees. And the, the fairing of the bike came back. And, Hit me, hit me here, oh. it was just below the nose, and it broke the bone, and oh. it, you know, just below the nose, cut my lip from my head. Yeah, that was that was completely upset. And I was wearing, I was wearing a crash helmet. Yeah. Mm. I probably probably wouldn't be here now. Yeah. I think I because I suffered concussion mm. even with the, even with the crash helmet, yeah. and uh, I can remember doing double somersault. So it's just trampoline is that I was well aware of what was happening to me. Mm. And, and I ended up in the gutter and it's because it was raining. There's a doctor following in the car. Wow. And he just came and looked at me in the gutter. I could never forget this. Mm-hmm. He just looked at me and then walked away and ignored me and left me in the gutter. What did he go for help? He he uh, he obviously phoned to the ambulance because no ambulance came. Mm. and and it was not very far to the hospital. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, he he switched into professional mode, and he was judging you, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. 
guess I guess he did. Yeah, that's that's what he, he was in. Yeah, yeah. He, he wasn't in helpful mode. He was in professional mode. You know, he was assessing your potential injuries. Yeah, obviously. and then he he kept calm, and then he rang the ambulance, and then. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I mean, in in reality, doing the right thing. Yeah. You know, probably there's not a lot he could do for me anyway. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was conscious and all the rest of it. So, so um, you know, he didn't do anything wrong in that sense, but it's not very comforting if you're lying in the gutter with water splashing on you, you know. Mm. You feel a bit deserted. Maybe you were, but you said you were concussed, so maybe you can't remember what he was saying, or you think he said nothing to you. Um, he didn't say anything. No, no I, was, I was conscious and was, I was well aware. So, um, and then in the hospital, they stitched, they, they didn't give me any anesthetic, they just stitched the blood up, which was that was interesting. <laughs> but I, I think I was in so much pain anyway, so mm. I didn't really know, yeah, yeah. didn't know it to be honest. I mean, I noticed it, but it wasn't, yeah. you know, if you hadn't been in pain, you, you would have. Notice the stitching up much more. <laughs> but then I had a scar um, on my upper lip. Um, it was quite a bad scar. Uh, um, grew a moustache and a beard to, to hide it. So I had a moustache and a beard. For... Did it go down to your lip or was it across? Um, 45 degrees. Oh, right. It almost split my lip right over and, and you know, um, cracked the bone behind. Mm. And the tooth, I think, I, possibly, I probably lost the tooth, basically. Mm. It, went, it, it went dead and I had to, well, eventually it was cancer and stuff, but it, that injury didn't help it at all. Mm. Um, yeah. Mm. Yeah. I was, I was very fit then. Mm. I was very fit. How old do you think? How old were you? Um, were they all about the same age almost? Yeah, yeah. I was, I might have still been at school, so I was, uh, I was like either, uh, you know, 16, 17. Oh, really? 17, up to 20, that's my yeah. age group. Can't remember exactly how old I was. Mm. I was living at home, so I guess I was under 19, because mm. I left home at 19. Mm. Oh, wow. I was imagining you were a bit older, but no, very young. No, that's very young. Welcome along to the um, podcast, and you've been listening to Peter Tomlinson telling us about his various motorcycle uh, crashes and injuries uh, during the 1960s uh, when he was about 19. Um, his, he used to do a lot of trampolining and that's obviously would put him in good stead for his crashes because he was rolling around the place. He didn't appear to be wearing any helmet or leathers and he, he used his um, trampolining skills to roll around the place and he was virtually unscathed but he's just been describing to Maria how he broke his nose on one of his escapades anyway Pete, 
didn't yeah, he? Yeah, it was his run, no, the fairing came back hit me in just below my nose. Okay. So it broke right. the bone just below my nose. Okay. Oh, all right. Anyway, Peter is alive and well now. <laughs> and, uh, and he's turned up at my house in Calendar Road, and we are doing a podcast with him. We did one earlier, and my friends were rather critical <laughs> critical of it, as, as they are critical of me, my fellow old Reptonians. And, uh, but I took no notice of the criticism, and I'm sure Peter wouldn't either. But um, he probably wouldn't look at his emails. Uh, to uh, anyway, because that's Peter. He has a number of sorry. <laughs> Peter has about ten accounts, and he doesn't look at any of them. <laughs> Very true. Very true. <laughs> anyway, um, I hope this is being recorded. I've plugged everything in, and it says that I'm upload. This episode is being recorded. So we'll only have to see tonight when uh, I get my son Charles to uh, verify this episode and uh, save it. And um, anyway, we should ask Peter um, about, um, so his early life, I think we've covered that. We're going to cover it again. Yes, we are. (laughs) And and the, 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 the female voice you hear in the background is Maria, who, um, it's done very well. She's made us uh, scrambled eggs on toast, and she's gone into sort of the mode of uh, running a guest house and a bed and breakfast, and she's doing very well. We'll give you a very good review on um, TripAdvisor, Maria, if there was one. Um, anyway, uh, Peter, so... Maria's being very quiet, though. Yeah, she is. Yeah. Good, good. Well... I like the sound of my own voice, as you know, Peter. I do. So, um, you know, that's ideal. She's quiet. I'm noisy. That's how we get on. <laughs> Is that right, Maria? <laughs> was that a rude gesture about? <laughs> oh, was a thumbs up. Oh, I thought you were giving me a, a sort of V sign or something like that. Ah, yeah, yeah. Now, what culture is that, Peter? I think the Arabs. Oh, the Arabs. Oh, a, th- a thumb up is is bad, is it? Oh, right. Okay. So, um, of course, I'm very uh, politically correct, and uh, I'm I'm very friendly with any. But yes, right, Peterson. But <laughs> when I meet anybody um, who, who is an Arab or whatever, I'm very friendly to them, and. Um, very, very, yeah, I do. I, I'm not really, I, I wouldn't call myself an Arabist, but I'm, you know, I do know there are Sunni, Mili, Sunni Muslims and Shia Muslims, and I do know the difference. And, um, well, um, if you're Saddam Hussein, it's pretty obvious. And he, and I think he, he gets a bit of a bad press, but I don't think, um, you know, I don't think he should have been attacked and Iraq should have been attacked. I think that was a mistake by George W. Bush, in, in my opinion. Saddam Hussein had nothing to do with the 9-11 attacks. They seem to be all nationals of Saudi Arabia involved in that. Yes, they were Sunni Muslims. But um, 
he had no Saddam Hussein was a dictator and he had nothing to do, he would have nothing to do with al qaeda in fact al qaeda had nothing had no no um, people in iraq at all and if they had have had any saddam hussein would have had them liquidated straight away because that was the kind of guy he was he was he was a dictator um and but he was totally in charge of iraq and um the fact when the Americans came in, they dismantled the Sunni uh, structure of the country. And, and in fact, I think that led to the uh, invention or the creation of ISIS, which was in fact uh, led by that revolution, was led by uh, two of his ex generals of his armed forces. Um, Japanese wife, Okay. Tells you a bit about his um, in, in life, travel, travel adventures. Yeah, yeah. He'd, eat, he'd eaten a spider <laughs> and asked what spider tasted like. It tastes like spider. But, um, <laughs> sorry, it's That's good. But he, he was, I think. Yeah. And he, he said, we misunderstood. The Western Front, Saddam Hussein, quite a lot because what the area needed was a small man yeah. who could instill peace. Yeah. And although he was dictatorial, as dictators tend to be, and um, oppressive in some respects, there was peace in the area, yeah. peace in Iraq. Yeah. And it needed someone like that to enforce cohesion between very uh, disparate, dis disparate yeah. groups. Yeah. So, um, well, he, he would have agreed with me. He was quite good for the yeah. and, and you have to remember, of course, that America were instrumental in, in uh, helping into power in the first place. Yeah, yeah. And I think it was because they were worried about the power he, he had in the area. Yeah. They were too worried about um, his influence on power. Yeah. Um, and um, what threat he might about the threat he might have opposed, uh, presented. And I think that's one of the reasons why they took the action they did. Yeah. I think in in hindsight, I think Saddam Hussein, when he um, decided to uh, attack Kuwait with his tanks and forces and and and, uh, and take over Kuwait, I think what he should have done was keep his tanks rolling and he should have gone into Saudi Arabia. The trouble was that would have affected, you know, world peace and the very uh, important oil price. And I think he was probably threatened by the Americans with uh, a nuclear bomb. And I think that's why he stopped. But in hindsight, he should have kept his tanks rolling and, and taken over Saudi Arabia as well. Uh, you know, but that's that's theory and that's that's the past. But that's my view. Anyway. Wow. Uh, that's <laughs> quite dramatic. Yeah. I mean, he was Salam Hussein. You know, if I'd have been in Iraq, I'd have been scared stiff of him. 
Yeah. And he was he was he was he'd been a he he was an ex school teacher, and you know if he'd have given me some homework to do, I'd have done it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but he was, you know, I, I probably wouldn't have done because I never did that. Yeah, yeah. Right. Well, but I think invading the work you was a mistake. Yeah. In the first place, and um, although Saudi Arabia is uh, very, very extreme in its uh, doctrinaire uh, approach, I mean, the approach to women and so on, and very strict um, interpretation of yeah. Islam of their dot. Um, not a good influence in many respects if you're someone who loves freedom and believes in freedom. Hmm. Um, so, although Saudi are very, um, um, I'm not sure the word I'm looking for, really, very um, strict and very, <coughs> very um, um, I mean, they're very authoritarian yeah, that's, and yeah, stuff, yeah. I'm choking a bit on the Yeah. Um, yeah, so, so, although they have all those, those disadvantages, but in the same way that uh, um, Sudan uh, engendered a certain amount of stability, I think Saudi Arabia does as well. Yeah. And certainly yeah. in terms of the oil supply, the the American particular, not the other Western nations. <coughs> that obviously deemed important. I think this is one reason why there's such a shift to electric vehicles and away from oil. It's not just the coming scarcity of oil. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's um, rendering. Oh, I've just got some water, I think. Thanks, Maria. Uh, it's rendering um, the power base of uh, people who are, you know, very violent in the world. Yeah. Rendering that power base less effective because it's it's really money that um, allows war to happen and allows terrorism to happen. Yeah. yeah. So if you remove that uh, um, advantage of the that the Arabs have, then the, the Western countries have an advantage. Yeah. So the move towards electrical power, which the vehicle is on, yeah. and away from oil, yeah. um, and towards um, nuclear power, so as a way of providing energy, makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Western, Western perspective. Yeah. Well, I mean, certainly, I mean... I know nothing about this, I love it. No, nor, nor am I. But my son Samuel, he has an electric vehicle and he charges that up. And next door, Jack has just got himself uh, some sort of new mini and that's electric and that charges up. So we, we are well, going I'm, that way, aren't we? I'm a very serious electric for a long time. Yeah. And, um, you know, friends of food, they say, well, you know, the 
they don't have the range and you're driving a milk float and all the rest of it. Um, we're in a position now, because we're within the South Circular, mm. of having to change cars. Yeah. Um, and incidentally, that's not a very environmentally friendly thing to do, is it? Mm. If all the manufacturing costs in, in economic and environmental terms to make the car in the first place, mm. and then you're going to scrap it because we're going electric. So, um, yeah, the policy is not always thought out very well. Yeah, you know, maybe existing cars should be allowed to, yeah, you know, decline. I, I know, I know you, Peter. But, but I'm very yeah. pro electric and looked into many electric cars. Actually, many the range on a mini is very low, it's only 70 miles. Yeah, so I'm not sure what technology they use, but it's um, probably not the most up to date. And they're, they're, you're selling on, they've sold on the image and the um, well, the image, the, the prestige of having a, a mini, you know, it's, uh, still has that draw, yeah. But from a practical point of view, it's not really, uh, and it would certainly be my first choice of electric, yeah, yeah. Well, I know nothing, Peter, but I do know that, um, you know, if they make a few breakthroughs with, you know, with the powering of, of cars, you know, batteries, I think, I think this will happen and we'll, we'll all be driving electric vehicles and, and petrol will, will not be, it will be a thing of the past, really. There won't be so much. There won't be pe petrol-driven vehicles driving up and down all the time, as there are nowadays. But that's all. I mean, I know nothing. But I, that's, that's, it's it's going to come. It's going to come. It's coming. Now, what what possibly people haven't thought about enough is the effect on the electric grid, electrical grid. Yeah. Um, will the grid cope with all the demand? Yeah. Yeah. There will obviously be a lot more. Electricity needed to, to charge the vehicle. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they're not really pollution free. I mean, it's that they are, in a sense, you know, even, even at the point of use, mm. because they're generating heat. Yeah. And heat has an effect. Um, obviously, the cost of, in the environmental terms, again, of producing the car is quite high. Mm. And the batteries are um, a problem in terms of recycling and yeah. um, environmental use again. So yeah. it has to be a lot of advances. But it's interesting that there was a device in developed in Cambridge, which was a, a fine filter, a fine uh, ferrite filter, so little shards of uh, iron mm. within something that looks like a battery and you you essentially charge it and it's a capacitor it's, it's a high high capacitance capacitor yes rather than being strictly a battery yeah so the advantage of that would be there's, there's no chemicals in it yeah so so your replacement for that device uh, yeah you know, it's going to last forever and one of the major problems that the world faces and, and we face in terms of renewables and recycling is that, for instance, car manufacturers want the car to have a life of four to five years. Yeah. 
learn to start going wrong and you have this built-in obsolescence. Yeah. So in a car manufacturer, design <coughs> part of the car to go wrong after five years. Yeah, yeah. And engineers will spend sometimes years developing something that goes wrong just after the warranty period runs out. Yeah, yeah. So th this encourages more cars to be produced and recycled, yeah, yeah. which is great for innovation. Uh, although, do we really need it in the automotive industry now? Mm, yeah. And it's great for the manufacturers, but it's, it's all great for the environment. No, it's exactly right. We should, we should be making things yeah. that last 100 years and don't yeah. replace them. Well, interestingly, in Cuba, don't they? All the vehicles driving the roads in Cuba are all old, patched-up <coughs> vehicles from, from the 1950s and 60s and stuff. I didn't know that, but it's interesting. Yeah, and you know, it shows. <coughs> it shows you can do it, and you don't have to have this planned obsolescence <coughs> stuff. Yeah, P Peter, if you if you if you're going to die, please don't do it during the interview. <laughs> Anyway, it's, it's been great to talk to you, Peter, and uh, certainly making my mind uh, going to overtime and work. Um, so anyway, we've got lovely weather outside. Here, here we are, Thursday afternoon, and uh, it was raining very heavily yesterday, and on the news, they tell me that global warming is happening and stuff, and... You know, we're, we're getting really hot summers at the moment. And uh, what else do they say on the news? Um, whatever. But. Yeah. I can remember the winter being so hot that we were sleeping in the bed without any sheet on. What, in the winter? In the winter. Really? With the windows open. Where, where was that? I can't remember what it was. That's in this country. Yeah. Well, of course, you know, you, you look at the history books and they say that lots of, there were lots of vineyards, Roman vineyards in Britain, you know, a couple of thousand years ago. Yeah. Now, yeah. I mean, that wasn't because of global warming, was it? No. It was, you know, the weather does change in the world. And um, yes, I think one of the interesting things about current climate, mm. it seems to me, and I, I, I spent a year and a half living in Canada, <coughs> Montreal, that our weather is going more towards the Canadian climate, Yeah, which is uh, much longer winters, Yeah, very, very short summers. Um, summers are very hot, Yeah, and the winter is very cold, and our climate is moderating affected very much by the Gulf Stream. Yeah, yeah. So if the Gulf Stream shifts, which is quite likely with climatic change, then our, our climate as a little island could be very dramatically changed. Yeah, yeah. It may not affect the world as a whole, but um, the effect of the Gulf Stream shifting could mean that our, our climate is more like Canada's. Yeah. It's very, very cold. And and some of Europe as well. Yeah. Actually. Short summer, yeah. Very, very cold with short summers. Well well they tell me that Europe, East Eastern Europe gets a lot hotter 
than Britain and and France and people and Spain and people. It gets really hot in 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 the Ukraine and places like that. I think Boris is good at that. Yeah, yeah. 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 Whereas in the centre of a continental mass, you know, uh, um, there's no none, sea. None of that. There's no sea. Effect, so yeah. Yeah. You get a lot of heat. Yeah. It, interesting. You know, it's quite surprising that in America. Yeah. A very advanced country. There's still areas if you go inland. Away from the coast, uh, large areas of desert that you know could be used uh, um, much more effectively than than it is. Yeah, and yeah. we would expect in a way America to do that. Yeah, but but, but one of the problems in America and elsewhere elsewhere in the world is the chopping down of trees. Yeah, and and the thing that I find people so naive about and so um, mistaken is this idea that you can have sustainable wood. Yeah, you know, we're replacing plastic with wooden forks and wooden spoons. Not, not only is there no point in that in environmental terms, you know, temperatures going up, um, if they're going up over 20 years and we need to stop the temperatures going up, then chopping trees down is a really bad idea because it yeah. takes trees 20 years to grow. Yeah, yeah. So this idea that plastic is less uh, valuable, less environmentally friendly than wood is totally mistaken. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know don't chop the trees down. Yeah. They're not, they're not sustainable. Yeah. Because in 20 years' time, 